and, and following it as a, as a really good aid to an effective prayer life. I, uh, but as we mature in the Lord, we'll find that there'll be occasions where it's different. We're not so much following a pattern. We might be pulling a topic out of that, but it's like the Holy Spirit just drops things into your heart and you begin to pray prophetically. And so we're going to um, really unpack what that looks like in this session, prophetic prayer. It's an exciting type of prayer, and it's where you really get on God's agenda for what he's doing specifically. So uh, Greta's going to come and talk a bit. We're just going to do a bit of revision on what prophecy is and, and just the different ways that you hear from God. First, then we'll come back and be more detailed on prophetic prayer. Okay. So, as most of you will know, the main way that God speaks to us is through this most amazing book in the world, His Word. This is a, a treasure, the most precious treasure that God has gifted us. He speaks to us through the Bible. And if we regularly read scriptures, we show Him, God, that we value His words, and He will be more inclined to speak to us in other ways as well. And prophecy is one of those ways that God speaks, along with dreams, visions, impressions, and so on. And all of these can bring guidance and inspiration to our lives, but they must always be in agreement, in alignment with God's word. That's, that's most important. Simply put, prophecy is speaking a message of encouragement from God. And this may include predicting the future, which is also called foretelling. It, it can also mean explaining the present, which is foretelling. 1 Corinthians 14.3 gives us the purposes of, of the gift of prophecy. One who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord, encouraging and comforting them. So prophecy is hearing God speak and then sharing what he says. Now, some Christians say that God never talks to them, but that's actually not true because God is always speaking. And we just simply need to understand how to tune our spiritual ears to his wavelength. Because Jesus promised, my sheep hear my voice. And we are his sheep the sheep of his pasture, we are his children, and, and God promises that we can hear his voice. Let's have a quick way of how um, to hear God's voice. Um, there are many ways that enable us to hear the Lord's voice, but we can, can condense them into three main ways, seeing, feeling, and hearing. Or you can get, often get a combination of them happening. So here is an example of seeing. Um, God speaks in, can speak in a mental picture, vision, dream, or natural signs. And, oh, just before I give you the example, just be aware that, that often what we see in visions and dreams may be symbolic. So we always need to ask the Lord for an interpretation. You know, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Um, I love asking him lots of questions, and he delights to teach us and reply. So I remember several years ago, I had this vivid mental picture of this giant stirring spoon. It was so unusual. And I, so I asked the Lord, what, 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 what does this mean? 
And I felt him say it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the great stirrer. And the Spirit of the Lord is stirring God's people across the earth to pray like never before. He's calling us all to join this rising, increasing global prayer army in the earth. Here's an example, a combination of seeing and a vision and hearing as well. In 2019, you see, often God speaks ahead of time, and so the thing is to keep praying what he's saying um, until he um, brings it into being. So this has not yet been fulfilled, but we are starting to see it happen in pockets, and that's very exciting. 2019, I saw this vision of waves of young people. And I kept seeing this repeatedly, these many thousands of young people pouring. And they, what really struck me, they were hungry for meaning and purpose and hope in life. And they were pouring into churches and being radically saved and transformed. And as a wave of the Spirit fell on them, it just happened easily. And these young people included young adults, youth, and children. And with this vision, I heard these words. A new Jesus movement is coming, a new Jesus revolution that will change the world. And I also heard this prophetic word for the church globally, wake up, the wave is coming. Then some months later, I came across this important confirmation which really encouraged me. And this is why I believe this, this is true. Because what I read was that Bob Jones, who is an internationally well-known prophet who's now in heaven, while he was still alive, had a near-death experience. And in this encounter with Jesus, Jesus sent Bob Jones back to earth with this assignment. And this is what Bob wrote. I am sending you back to wake up the church because I'm going to bring a billion youth to myself in one of the greatest waves of all time. And I have kept in my journals a, a statistic from 2013 that, I've, that has stayed in my brain. And this statistic said in 2013, in 12 years' time, i.e. by 2025, a billion more children will be born. And, and I believe this includes this billion that Bob Jones saw way back when. So what we know is across the nations, God is passionately pursuing this next generation. And God's calling his people to pray for them like never before and, and evangelize. And as I shared with the leadership last year, I am a child of that first Jesus revolution. But what is coming, it will pale into significance by comparison. And I'm desperate to see God set this next generation on fire like he did for, for so many of us. He saved hippies, he saved straight ones like myself. And I really, I know God is going to do it because he's, he's given natural signs. God speaks through natural signs as well. I kept seeing these, the number 44, like $44, 44%, over and over. It's continued all this year. So, Holy Spirit, what are you saying through this number? And this is what he said. Invoke and decree the Isaiah 44 promise. 
And verse 3 says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And this is what we are to pray and decree and declare and intercede for, for God to do. And I, I, I have absolute confidence that as we pray, the Lord is going to do. We've seen these things already been happening in, in campuses, in, in America, many campuses. It's been happening in Germany. Thousands of hungry people coming to Jesus. We don't see this in the news, but, but it is quietly beginning to occur. But I feel it's going to go way beyond. So that is, is primarily seeing, and as I say, can be combination. Then a second way God speaks is feeling. A person may feel what another person is feeling, or you may feel what God is feeling, or you may feel an atmosphere in a location that you've been in. Uh, just to give an example um, of, I remember earlier this year, Jesus just um, let me feel what he was feeling, and it was the brokenness in people. And you know, it breaks his heart to see brokenness, people so broken. And, um, you know, he just moved me to pray and intercede for these specific people that, that were so broken, because Jesus' heart is to make people whole and healed and set them free, not so. And David's going to just give us an example of, of, of an atmosphere. Thanks, sweetheart. Sometimes you, you'll feel uh, compassion for a situation that will prompt you to pray. Sometimes you'll feel anger at injustice, and that might move you to pray. Um, other times you feel atmospheres. Anyone ever walked past a New Age shop and felt yucky, like an oppression? I remember um, we were ministering in Australia some years ago, and we'd just flown in. Um, and we were here uh, here in Australia a day or two, and I was just, we were getting ready to do a conference, I think, and uh, over a weekend, and I was feeling really yucky, like death warmed up. I, I felt like I had no energy. I felt I couldn't hardly pray. Um, I didn't know what to do. I thought, oh, I'll go for a prayer walk. Maybe that'll shift things. I went, nothing changed. I said to Greta, I don't know what's going on, honey. This can't be jet lag. You know, I'm feeling like death warmed up. And then Greta said to me, I wonder whether you're fighting a python spirit. You know, in Acts 16, it says the slave girl had a spirit of divination. If you go to the Greek, it says she had a python. Um, I think in ancient Greece, that was a place of false prophecy. So that is a spirit that is uh, anti the Holy Spirit. And you know what a python does in the natural to kill its prey, right? It, it, it coils around and it suffocates you. Well, a python spirit will do that to you spiritually. It'll try and shut you down, make you lifeless, listless. You, you know, you can't read the word. You fall asleep. You struggle to pray. I mean, for some of us, that's just our flesh. But sometimes you battle, you know, you discipline, you discipline, but it still, you might be dealing with that. So, I, so we, and then we went for a walk in, in one of the shopping malls, and we kind of noticed people walking around with a pretty glazed expression on their faces. And think, we suddenly realized this is a territorial spirit over this region, this python spirit. So we resisted it because we had authority to resist its effect on us. And, you know, it just broke off. And, and then we got, we got into the conference. And at one point I shared 
this experience. And at the end of the conference, a number of people came up and said, well, do you know what the name of our town means? Uh, it means carpet snake. And of course, it was here, Kabulcha. I don't know if you remember me sharing that all those years ago. You do. One or two of you remember. And it, carpet snake, and, and you know the, that that sim, the, the symbol of the python is on a lot of your, the city council stuff, isn't it? And so we said to Stuart, was the pastor at the time, we said, Stuart, you can't break this as a church. needs more churches. Uh, the church coming together has an authority. And, and so he gathered a number of the pastors, and they took a stand against that thing. When we came back a year later, the atmosphere was completely different, like something had shifted. So something broke through a God's people coming together. But, um, you know, when you're feeling yucky, you tend to blame yourself. Like, why am I feeling like this? What have I done wrong? But it actually could be the Holy Spirit letting you feel an atmosphere to alert you to pray. On the other hand, you could feel a very positive feeling. You could be in a place and you're feeling great joy and anticipation of what God does. So feeling is, a, it can be a little difficult to explain because you initially think, ah, this is me. Why am I feeling this? Is there something wrong with me? No, it could be that the Holy Spirit is alerting you to know how to pray into a situation. Well, there may be times, as David said, that you're going to feel positive emotion when praying, and it usually indicates that the individual or, or situation that, that you're interceding for will experience something very good. Uh, recently, I was just alone with the Lord, and I was interceding for a young couple, uh, very specific with specific details. And then I just felt this great joy fill me, and I began to prophesy and pray back to God what I heard Jesus say. And, and this is what he said, I will gift them with a baby. This is the desire of the heart. I've heard your prayers for them. And then a few weeks later, we, we received the wonderful news that the couple had just found that the wife was pregnant. Um, and so that, that wonderful feeling of joy, great joy, you know, that positive emotion uh, was a, a, a wonderful indicator. Then the third way God can speak is hearing. God speaks in words, phrases, or whole sentences. And remember, God will speak like you and I talk and think. So he doesn't want to frighten us with an otherworldly voice. So don't think that, oh, is that me making it up? Because sometimes we, we can think like that. But when we really get to know the Lord, uh, more and more we recognize with confidence that that's the, the Lord speaking to us. Just as an example, when, when my first husband, Ron, and I, and most of you will know that Ron is now in heaven as David's first wife, Jane, is in heaven. When we were praying back in Cape Town, South Africa, Lord, where do you want us to geographically live on the planet? Because we wanted to be in the center of God's will. And um, he said these words very clearly to us. He also gave us a scripture and confidence confirmations, um, because it's a major decision, and you never want to make a major decision without a scripture. But, but this is what he said. He said, go to New Zealand, I tell you go. And, <laughs> and, so, and so we just simply, you know, we move by, by faith and obedience um, 
to to God. And you know, when we we had no jobs, we didn't know a soul, but when you obey God, He opened the doors and He just provided, and the rest is history. Wonderful history. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Got promoted to New Zealand. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh. You know, um, it would be good to try a little exercise right now just to practice um, these ways of hearing. And by the way, sometimes you're actually just in prayer and you're praying out loud and then stuff comes out of your mouth. It's pre- anyone experience that? It's like, oh, okay, okay I'm going to pray along that. Or it's like you're having a conversation with a friend and something really wise comes out of your mouth. It's like the Holy Spirit injecting prophetic revelation. So, Psalm 2. How many know... Or uh, what Psalm 2 says, roughly, the contents of Psalm 2. How many know Psalm 2's in the Bible? Okay, that, that's, a, that's a great, better response, okay. Psalm 2, Psalm 2 starts, why do the nations rage? And the people imagines a vain thing. You know, the rulers of the earth take counsel together, saying, against the Lord and his anointed, let us throw off their yoke. And he's talking about the Judeo-Christian foundation of nations, which evil people call a yoke of slavery, but we know is a a foundation of blessing. And it goes on and says, he who sits in the heavens laughs as he sees the wicked plotting against the righteous, because God is going to deal with that. And then the, the bottom part of the psalm, Uh, Father says to Jesus, he turns to the Son and says, Ask me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So it's actually, if you look at Psalm 2, it is a blueprint for exactly what is happening in the world right now. If you read it through, you'll see this is what we're seeing in the world right now. Now, the good news is there's all that wicked, yucky stuff, but we know God's in control. He's laughing a laugh of victory. He will deal with it. And the beautiful thing, the psalm finishes not with the wicked winning, but with the nations becoming the inheritance of Christ. So out of all this turmoil and wickedness, people's hearts start to get open. People start to say, what on earth is going on in the world? They become more open to the gospel. The church rises in prayer and in mission. And so you have this potential for a harvest of a billion people. We pray it's even more for God to move. But the thing that Jesus is asking in heaven, Father, give me the nations for mine here. They belong to him. He purchased them back at the cross because they were given to Satan when Adam and Eve sinned and he had legal right to them. Remember Satan said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, because he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, worship me and I'll give them all because they've been given to me. Well, that ended at the cross. Jesus broke the power of Satan, took the nations back, gave us the authority to see nations changed, and we'll see that fully happen when Jesus returns. But right now he's asking that God would give him the nations for his inheritance. And that's prior to his coming, that nations will turn to Christ, or there will be moves of, uh, of harvest within nations. And so one of the smart things to do, when you know prophetic revelation in the Scripture, is to get into alignment with what Jesus is praying. And so as you mature in prayer, he will start to lay nations on your heart. Or you can even just go to a place where you look at a world map and say, all right, Holy Spirit, what nation do you want me to pray for? Or you can even do research, but often it's a prompting. So what I'd like us to do right now is in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to go quiet and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you a nation to pray for. Now, 
a name might pop into your mind, like a word. You might see a map of the world and a nation highlighted. Or you may feel something towards a particular people group. So there's a number of ways in which God will speak. But could we do that now just as a simple, very simple exercise at hearing? So why don't you close your eyes, get still and say, all right, Holy Spirit, would you show me a nation that you would like me to pray for? And just see what comes to you. Just give you another 30 seconds because most of us should be, I think, getting something now. Okay. How many of you, the name of a nation popped into your mind? Let's just... See your hands, okay? How many of you, you saw a map or something, you saw a geographical nation in picture form? Yeah, how many of you just felt something towards a particular nation? Just raise your hand, one or two of you. So, so most of you, um, yeah, it just, you've got a nation in your mind, and if you haven't, just pick one, all right? Just pick one. But um, anyone get New Zealand on your heart? You jolly Aussies, look at you. <laughs> There's not a single person in the room. Come on. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's our national election today. And we have had an evil, evil government in power for six years. And we really need to pray for a governmental change. And we are hoping and praying that there's been a lot of prayer going on. Okay, what I'd like you to do is get in pairs Again, and for five minutes, I'd love you to pray for the nation. So what you're going to need to do in pairs is just share with each other the nation God's put on your heart. And then one of you pray for that nation and the other come into agreement and you pray for that nation. And then you get to pray for the second nation. So two of you will have prayed for the one nation. So by the time you finished, you will have prayed for um, those two nations and each of you will have prayed. Is that, is that all clear? Okay, why don't you stand up, get into pairs and do that. Africa, how many prayed for a nation in Africa? So there's, there's a couple, about four, five hands going up there. Okay, what about Europe? How many prayed for a European country? Uh, yeah, there's about another half dozen. Okay, um, how many prayed for North America? That'll be Canada, America, Mexico, North America, quite a few. South America, again, another few. Um, how many prayed for Australia? Okay, a lot, uh, yeah, again, pretty much equal numbers. What about Asia? Some Asian countries, there's quite a few hands gone up there. Okay, um, what about Middle East? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's interesting. So if you take Middle East and Asia and all that 
that huge continent, there's been quite a majority there, which is interesting. And uh, of course, they are trouble spots, aren't they? And, uh, but anyway, every nation belongs to Jesus. And so what you did there is a great exercise to do at home. Um, you know, in your prayer times, uh, again, just you can stop and ask the Holy Spirit what nation or, like I said, just get a map of the world. And I once did that, and, and I felt the Lord draw my attention to the Arctic Circle. And he wanted me to pray for all the Aboriginal indigenous people, the Eskimos and others up in the Arctic Circle. And, and that assignment lasted for two months. Like every time I went to prayer, or most times I went to prayer, I'd be praying up in the Arctic Circle. Then it lifted, and, um, but then I heard there'd been a great move of the Spirit in many indigenous peoples up in the Arctic Circle. Um, and so, you know, you never know what God's up to. It's just kind of interesting to cooperate with Him, and it gets very exciting. So let's look at the link between uh, prophecy and prayer. Greg has talked about the prophetic and how to hear and there is an obvious link. Well, first, um, you know, let's have a look at, at something here. Uh, it's called the principle of first mention. You might want to just write that in. It's an important rule of biblical interpretation. Anyone heard of that principle of first mention? A few of you. Basically, it says the first time the Bible mentions something um, in Scripture, usually the kernel of what that thing is all about, the kernel of truth is contained in that verse. So... Um, the first time that the word prophet occurs in the Bible is found in Genesis 20, verse 7. Now, it's not the first recorded prophecy because God prophesied to Adam and Eve that he was going to send a deliverer and they would be redeemed. And then Enoch prophesied. Um, but, of course, that's found at the end of the Bible in the book of Jude. So that's... But it's nevertheless an early prophecy. But the first mention of a prophet is here found in Genesis 20, verse 7, where God says to Abimelech, he better give Sarah back to Abraham or else. And he says, now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet, then you will live. There's, a, there's huge truth right there around the prophetic. And there's three words that are particularly significant, pray, prophet, and live. So God has designed prophecy to bring life. And in addition, prayer and prophecy are very closely linked. Now, firstly, all prophecy is an invitation to intercession. Okay, so I, I, we, we meet Christians who are disappointed. Well, I had a prophetic word years ago, and it's never happened. And so we say, well, did you mix that with faith? Did you really believe God for that? Did you occasionally, you know, persistently pray that that word would come to pass? Well, no, because, you know, the I just got the prophecy. Surely it should come to pass. No, because every word from God, you know, there's sometimes God will just speak and sovereignly he does it. But most of the time he wants to grow your character to grow you into the word that is going to be fulfilled so that you not only get the outcome, you get a growth of character in order to handle the outcome because if you and I got everything we asked for without the character to handle it, it would ruin us. 
So every prophecy that you hear over your life or comes to your church or for a nation is an invitation to intercession. We need to mix it with faith and we need to consistently pray until it comes to pass. That's the first thing. But secondly, there will be times in prayer, as we've already said, that prophetic revelation may come to enable us to pray more specifically about a matter or to pray something we'd not thought of. And that's called prophetic prayer. Prophetic prayer. So we're not following the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. We're not following a list of prayer needs. Um, it's just, or our own thoughts particularly, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to us directly in our praying. We may see a picture, feel something, hear thoughts, or have a scripture come to mind, and it's a sign we should begin to pray along the lines of what we're seeing, feeling, or hearing. And often as you pray, further revelation and insight comes. Here's an example from scripture. Um, remember there'd been three and a half years of drought in Israel, because Elijah had, I'm getting a bit of echo, guys, I'm not sure where it's coming from, but. If you could sort that out for me, that'd be good. Then Elijah has prayed that there'd be drought um, because Israel is led by an evil king, Ahab. And then God says, well, now listen, um, Elijah, I want you to go up Mount Carmel, call down fire and let the nation know that I'm the Lord, not Baal. So he does that. And then he says, and, and then uh, Elijah, once that's happened, he says to this evil Ahab, you better get in your chariot and go. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. 1 Kings 18.41, Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. See, while the wicked are eating and drinking, the church ought to be up the mountain praying for a rainstorm to come. You know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the hopeless uh, philosophy of secular humanism. We came from nothing by some big bang that started the universe. We got lucky on a primeval earth because some chemicals came together with a bit of lightning. And look, now we're here after billions of years. I mean, and then when you die, there is nothing. You just become eaten by worms. I mean, that is secular humanism. That's what our kids are being taught in school. It all just happened by chance, some big explosion, some lucky slime gave rise to proteins, etc. Uh, you know, so the world is eating, I'm going off, but the world is eating, drinking and being merry. We ought to be not doing the same. I mean, look, we had a feast out there, didn't we? We're allowed to do that. Okay, you're allowed to do that. But you know what? I We should be up the mountain praying, God rain on the nations, rain. And that's what Elijah was doing. But you see, he didn't hear a rainstorm with his physical ears. I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Well, there was no rain. How did he hear? In his spirit. He heard what the Holy Spirit was saying was going to happen. It was prophetic. So what does he do? He begins to engage in prophetic prayer. He's, got a, he's, he's hearing this rainstorm is coming. The drought's going to break. So he goes up on uh, the top of Mount Carmel. And it says in verse 42, he climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, and prayed with his face between his knees. He, he adopted a Middle Eastern birthing position. That would be the birthing position of women. It's a picture of intercession. You're giving birth. And he interceded for rain to come. And every so often he asked his servant to go right up to the top, look out over the sea and tell him if anything was gonna, is, is coming. So verses 43 and 44, the servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. 
Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, after the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Not exactly a major rainstorm, but a token sign. And here's the deal. If Elijah had given up after the sixth time, there would have been no rain. I don't know what you're praying for right now. Somebody in your life to be saved, somebody to be healed, grandkids to come to know Christ, a brother, a sister, a sister-in-law, a nephew, a niece, a loved one, a breakthrough, a revival fire to burn in Australia. I don't know what you're praying for, but I know this, we got to be up on that mountain and pray it through. Because if we give up after four, five, six times of seeing nothing, then we won't get it. But he persisted. And it came as a token breakthrough. How many know that a major breakthrough comes with a little, a little breakthrough first? You just get a little thing. And some Christians are happy with the little. Oh, I've got a partial healing. No, no, you want to go for a complete healing. Oh, well, I've seen a couple of my family members saved. No, you want to see them all saved. We don't settle for partial. And, and he just, and then that little cloud grows to be a mighty rainstorm and it becomes a huge, huge deluge. 1 Kings 18.45, soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. How many know we need a heavy wind from heaven to bring a terrific rainstorm of the Holy Spirit over the nations of the earth? And when God's people adopt that persistent prayer for awakening in the nations, we are going to see a wind and a rainstorm of the Holy Spirit. I believe it with all my heart, but it's so contingent upon the church praying. And so may you be quickened in your faith to keep praying for the breakthroughs you need in your family, but may we also keep praying for this nation and our nation and the nations of the earth. Because listen, you're not on planet earth just to enjoy Enjoy a good life. You are just an alien passing through. You are just a pilgrim on your way to eternity. Now you're allowed to enjoy the journey. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6 says. And we, we squeeze as much joy and satisfaction out of this life. And particularly if you put God first, that'll always be. But how many know you're waiting for your resurrection body? You're waiting for a new earth and heaven in which righteousness dwells. You're waiting for the city and heaven to come down upon this new earth and in our resurrection bodies. So we're going to live with Jesus forever and ever in the new earth and the new heaven he creates. He is coming back. And when he does, righteousness will fill the earth. And Isaiah 2 says, There'll be no need for militaries. There'll be no need for armies, navies, and air forces. There'll be no weapons on planet Earth because the Prince of Peace will have come back and he will have sorted the nations out and all the nations will bow before him. That's our destiny. That's where we're headed. Hallelujah. And you ain't allowed to just think this is it. This is not it. There's way more. 
It's beyond us, but make sure that you contribute to the new earth and the new heaven that is coming by sowing into eternal realms in prayer. Jesus said it's a very smart thing to sow into eternal habitations and give generously into that realm. So when it's your time to go to heaven, they will receive you gladly because you will have sown your life into the purposes of the kingdom, which may be to raise children and build a good marriage and run a good business, but it's all also to see the impact of the kingdom of God on planet earth. Don't know where that preaching all came from, but hey, it's exciting. <laughs> come on, I've got to take the long view. All right, Greta's going to come and talk about a current prophecy about spiritual reign. Several years ago, while we were ministering actually here in Caboolture in 2015, we were sleeping in Gwen's Annex. This, is, this happened. Um, I was suddenly awoken in the middle of the night by the most thunderous, um, deafening sound of a heavy deluge of rain I've ever experienced before or since in my life. So Elijah was hearing it in his spirit. I was literally hearing it. And God can also speak through a natural sign as this absolute heavy downpour of rain. And it, it woke me with a shock, and straight away a prophetic word for the nations came, and I just wrote it down as I heard it. And at the same time, two Bible passages simultaneously came into my mind. The one was Ezekiel in the valley, the valley of dry bones, and Elijah on the mountain. And I read it to you as, as it came to me. It's called, Can It Be? Go again. Can it be that a nation can be born in a day? Can it be that a city be fully awakened to me? Can it be that the dead dry bones can arise? Can it be that the dead dry bones can live? Can it be that I pour out my spirit upon all flesh and manifest signs, wonders, and miracles for the display of my splendor? Go again. Go again to the mountain of prayer. Go again to the mountain of my presence. Cry out to me and I will answer from heaven. Prophesy, let it rain. From the mountaintop you will see, you will see a cloud the size of a man's fist. Go again, you will see the cloud approaching. Go again, you will feel the wind coming stronger. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and rain down my spirit to bring life to the desert places. See if I will not blow the wind of my spirit to breathe life into the dead dry bones that will become a mighty army of the Lord in this nation. I am he who can do every can it be. I have decreed life over this nation, and it shall happen if you go again. And I sense the Lord say also, like Elijah declared under a silent sky, clear sky, blue sky, I felt him say, just like Elijah, prophesy over the nation. There is the sound of heavy rain. Actually, could I just stop there? Can we just prophesy this together over Australia? 
There is, Lord, we declare your word. We say there is the sound of heavy rain. There is the sound of heavy rain over the whole of Australia in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, would you pour out your spirit? May the dead, dry bones of lost hope up and down this nation rise up, rise up, an army full of life, Lord. We decree life over this nation as you have decreed life. And we speak that they will rise up, a mighty army of hope. That, that, that was spread in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. But then like, like Elijah, we prophesy, and then like him, we pray and we keep praying for the outpouring of the, of the Spirit on Australia and all the nations. And God will open the floodgates of heaven and send a mighty wind if we humble ourselves, turn from our sinful ways, and keep persevering in prayer. That persevering in prayer is, is so vital a part um, of, of God's response. That's 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's a great word for Australia and, and every nation, really. So may, may you be rained upon. Amen, spiritually. I just want to give another sort of example, um, a prophetic prayer strategy for removing the wicked. How many think the world's got a lot more wicked in recent years? It's, it's, like, it's like not only is sin tolerated, it's celebrated and, and even legislated. And it's just like it seems like wickedness in the media, wickedness in politics, wickedness you know, out in the streets, it's like, whoa. And, you know, if you read through Psalms, the number of times, hundreds of times, the word wicked comes up. And, uh, and you know, Psalm 75, 10, here's an example. God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. That's a great scripture right there, don't you think? That's a prophetic word, but it has to be prayed into being. It won't just happen. See, if we're passive, the wicked will just keep getting stronger and stronger. Um, but if we pray that, then God will remove wicked people from influence in strategic areas, and he'll increase the power of the godly by perhaps placing them in those areas or just grassroots uh, movement of God. Daniel 2.21, uh, God says to Daniel, he, that's God controls the course of world events, he removes kings and sets up other kings. And the inference is he removes ungodly, wicked rulers, because the king is just a generic name for a ruler. Could be a prime minister, could be a president, could be a king, a queen, could be a leader in commerce, uh, in, you know, a leader in some social area and media and entertainment, you know, the, the, the leaders and, and people, influences of this world. God controls the course of world events. It may look like the devil does right now, but God's in control. And if the people of God will pray, God will remove wicked rulers and he'll replace them with righteous rulers. The problem is how to pray that. Because who's wicked? Is it, can we tell by their behavior? Because see, lost people and wicked people are different. I mean, wicked people are lost, don't get me wrong. But lost people do stuff, wicked stuff, out of ignorance and blindness. 
Wicked people do evil stuff deliberately, strategically, willfully, thumbing their nose at God and in league with Satan, whether they believe in Satan or not. There's a difference between the lost and the wicked. So how do you, how do you pray when you look at a world ruler? Is that person lost? Is that person wicked? How do you pray? Do you pray for their removal or do you pray for their salvation? What do you do? How do you tell the difference? And so I was wrestling with this a few years ago saying, Lord, I don't know, I get stuck on this because I feel like I need to be praying that you would remove the wicked and, and empower the godly, but I get stuck on who's who in the Sioux. And, and this is what I heard the Lord say to me prophetically, pray that I will save the souls and remove the Herods. Now I'm gonna explain that in a minute. Pray that, I'll remo- that I will save the souls and remove the Herods. How many have read the book of Acts? About 10 of you. That's good. Okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure more of you have read the book of Acts. It's like that, that beautiful brunch is just sitting heavily and sleepily on you. If you read the book of Acts... There's a couple of wicked people in there. One is Saul, one is Herod. I mean, there's a couple of people that do wicked things, right? Saul, he is persecuting Christians. He is cheering when Stephen gets stoned to death. He asks permission from the high priest to go to Damascus and arrest Christians. He goes through Jerusalem with the rest of the Pharisees, arresting Christians, putting them in prison, happy when they get killed or whatever, whatever. He's doing wicked things but he's doing it out of ignorance. And on the way to Damascus, he has a visitation of Jesus that blinds him. He goes into Damascus. He fasts and he prays for three days. A man called Ananias comes and lays hands on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He sees again, and he becomes the man who became the Apostle Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. He later adopted his more romantic name, Paul, and he became the great apostle Paul, who wrote more than half the New Testament. But when you looked at what he was doing, it was wicked, right? But he was lost. There was another man in the book of Acts called King Herod, and he had James the apostle. You know John and James, the two sons of thunder? Well, he had John's brother James killed with a sword. And then he arrested Peter and threw him in prison. He's going to do the same thing. Of course, God delivered Peter, sent an angel to rescue him. But God wasn't very pleased with Herod. He was just pure wicked. And later he goes to, I think, Caesarea. And, you know, he's giving a speech. And all the people say, this is not the voice of a man. It's the voice of God. And he accepts all the worship because that's what wicked rulers do. They love adulation because they're of their father, Satan, who is a spirit of pride, which caused him to fall. And so what does God do? He strikes him with an intestinal disease, and in a very painful way, he dies, and the wicked is removed. So when God said to me, pray that I will save the souls and remove the Herods, that's what I've been doing for the last few years. When I look out on the nations, and I see wicked rulers, or I see evil being done, and people you know, sort of leading. I thought, well, I don't know whether they're a Saul or a Herod. Only you do. I don't know whether Putin's, he looks like a Herod. I don't know, Lord. But God, you know. 
And either remove him by saving him or remove him by removing him. What a, you know? And then you leave it to God and you're on safe ground. But we can't be passive, guys. The church has got to fight the spirit of wickedness in high places. This is what Paul says. You know, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We are clothed with the spirit of armor to withstand evil spirits in high places, principalities and powers. The satanic powers behind those things need to come down. But so do the people that are being used by the enemy if they will not turn, if they will not repent. But to pray, God, only you know their true heart. Save the souls, remove the Herods then you're on safe ground, not making a judgment that we shouldn't make because only God knows their hearts. Is that right? Wow, some of you were doing wicked things before you got saved. You don't need to put your hand up, but you know, all right? But God had mercy on you because you were doing it out of ignorance and blindness. Here's another example. I've been praying for the Muslim world for about 30 years praying that there would be a great move of the Spirit in the Muslim world. And about 20 uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I was praying one day, well, God, save the Muslim people and show them your love and reveal Jesus to them. And Lord, they're slaves to religious uh, you know, bondage and, and legalism and you know, a God that is vengeful and hateful and you know, they're in terror of him. And God, would you show them your love? And you know, as you do, how you pray for them. And, and, and then I, just as I'm praying, into my mind pops the word disillusionment. And then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to pray for a spirit of disillusionment to come upon the Muslim world. Now, that was, just, that was before 9-11. And that is exactly, and I've prayed that, and I'm sure millions of Christians are praying a similar prayer. God sent a spirit of disillusionment upon the Muslim world. And since 9-11, many, many Millions of moderate Muslims have become disillusioned with their faith because of what the radicals are doing. You know, in Iran, they say that most of the mosques are empty because the people are so disillusioned with the Islamic regime that is in power. And do you know that in Iran, one to two million people have come to Christ? And the underground church is that strong? Answer to prayer right there. So we keep praying for people groups because God loves all people groups, wants all people to be saved. And I think this is so exciting to be part of the great commission by not only going but praying. Wow, we can, you, our prayers can create a pathway for mission and for people to come to Christ. And you know the stories of, of Muslims having dreams of Jesus and visions of Jesus. And, you know, there's just amazing things going on. They say there's more Muslims being saved in the last 20, 30 years than in the whole history of Islam uh, since 700 or so AD when it came on the scene. Isn't that incredible? God is on the move. Amen. The full number of the Gentiles will come in, then all Israel will be saved. And we're looking forward to that day. So conclusion. In prophetic prayer, the Holy Spirit will take the initiative to direct us in intercession. At other times, we want to pray about an issue but not know to, how to do it. We can stop, be silent, and ask the Lord how we should pray. As we listen, insight will come. Or while in prayer, we may hear ourselves say something that takes us by surprise. That is the Holy Spirit injecting prophetic insight into our intercession. We don't have to have a prophetic gift or be a prophet to engage in this type of prayer. That's good news. 
You can just hear from God. Because as Greta said, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the privilege of hearing. When at times we pray prophetically, it will empower us to pray with bold faith and will add a greater authority to our intercession because revelation brings authority. And when you get a revelation of a heavenly strategy, it gives you a boldness and a greater faith and an authority to pray into that realm. And you can also pray that personally for yourself as well. Any questions you want to ask about that? All good? You just want to get home early, don't you? I know. I'm not going to ask a question. It will prolong the proceedings. <laughs> no, I'm sure no one is thinking that. I would love us just, uh, we've got a bit of time before we get to one o'clock. And uh, I just love us to, um, I'd love to, to push you into the edge and activate this gift in your life. So what we're going to do in a moment, I'm going to explain. We're going to get into groups of three, Okay. And, and then we're going to get you to prophetically pray for the, another person in the group. So you're not going to prophesy over them. You're going to just pray for them. But you're going to listen to God as to how you should pray. And just whatever seed of thought you get, feeling, scripture, you might get a scripture to pray over them. I just want you to pray for them in terms of what you're hearing. So you're going to be praying prophetically. And I know we've done this in times past when we've taught on prophecy. We've actually got you to prophesy. So this is a lot easier. You're just going to be praying. So you can fake it if you're not hearing anything, okay? You can just pray. You can just pray your best prayer and they won't know. <laughs> but we're hoping that you won't fake it, that you will really hear from the Lord. So what we need to do is stand up and get into groups of three. It's probably best if spouses split up, split up for this exercise because you know each other pretty well. And just get into groups of three. You can stand and get in the aisles and, you know, down the back and up the front. You can just create groups of three all over the place. And then I'll explain what you're going to do in a moment. Three, not two or four. Uh, don't do anything till we uh, tell you to start. But if you can get into groups of three. If you're not in a group of three, can you raise your hand? Uh, maybe you're in a group of four or two. Um, but, but we just need you in groups of three. So there's a group of two over here, a couple of groups finishing off, but most of you are in your seats. How many of you, you, you heard uh, uh, something that really encouraged you as you were prayed for? And okay, that's fantastic. How many of you, you knew you were praying prophetically for the person? God was, yeah, yeah, a lot of most hands going up. That's fantastic. That's, that's really well done. And, um, you know, as you prayed over that person, you can, on your own at home, pray over a situation. Just do the same thing. Okay, Lord, how do I pray for Ukraine? How do I pray for Israel? How do I, you know, it could be a nation, could be a person, a friend of yours who not yet saved, or maybe they are saved. How do I pray for so-and-so? You're bringing them to my mind. And so this prophetic praying is really, really powerful. The, there's a chapter in the book on it. The book's got a whole lot of other things on how to pray for lost people and how to deal with unanswered prayer, spiritual warfare, and other stuff like that. So you can check it out. So thank you for coming. How many hope? that their prayer life is going to go to a new level after today. That's, that's awesome. We trust that that will happen for you as you put into practice. I'm going to hand back to Ben to let us go. So bless you, Ben.